right, so what, what, what we want to talk to is art and activism. But I'd love for you both to start talking a little bit about where you think we are in the present moment um, in terms of, uh, of, of the country. Obviously, we've gone through COVID. We're still politically, the rancor is still high. Obviously, the hearings are taking place. Everybody lives in politics. People used to worry about people getting involved in politics. Now we want them to stop thinking about politics in a weird way, but you can't. Um, so I'd love to get you sort of a, where you think we are right now from the lens of what, what you do and where you are. Cynthia, why don't you start? I think not, you know, not to start on too high a note. Okay. I think we're terrorized and defeated mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think COVID is a part of that. And I think Donald Trump is a part of that and the the uh, the movement that he, if not unleashed, at least revealed. Um, and I think that, you know, there was a sense on, I think on both sides of the political spectrum that when, when, when the person we elected to president was like, one of ours, you know, we got, we got the White House this time, there was a kind of a, a collective sigh of relief from that side that like everything's gonna be good and maybe this person isn't perfect, but we can relax and um, know that they're making pretty much the, the best decisions. And I think that that's sort of evaporated. And I think speaking as a person from the left, I think we were so exhausted by the Trump years and the threat to democracy and, and you know everything else and I think at least from where I sit, Biden has not offered a lot of relief, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, to say that the person is not Donald Trump is, you know, very low praise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think great terror about what is coming in terms of will Trump be elected again or DeSantis or will Biden really be elected, you know? And, and so I think there is collective exhaustion um, from also from all the other, th you know, from Roe versus Wade and from the shootings and, and, and also just, you know, the climate. I think that even if things were looking just so rosy in every other quadrant, mm -hmm. the um, apocalyptic doom that is facing us is overwhelming. And I think, so I think that the this is very bleak, what I'm saying, and I think that the, maybe the, the bleakest part or maybe the part that might give a little sunshine is when it looks like everything is all linked up in this terrifying way, it's like, how can I even try? Where do I even try? How can I even mm -hmm. lift a finger? And I think that the fact of the matter is that there are, th that. You can't do everything all at once. You have to pick something mm -hmm. and, then, and then fight like hell for it. And I think that that's where that change is going to happen, that we can't just say it's all, a, it's all impossible so I won't Hopeless. even start. So you're going to say, I'm going to start over here, and maybe mm -hmm. you're going to start over here, and maybe you're going to start over there, mm -hmm. and we're going to... And know. what is that spot for you? For me, um, that spot is trying to get progressive people elected to office. And particularly, you know, in New York State, because that's my, you know, my, where I've always lived, that's where I'm from. Um, and I think, you know, New York is an exciting place to do that because it's a very wealthy state and it's a two to one democratic state. It's a very progressive place. It's a place with a lot of attention on it. So when you do things well here, 
it gets exported mm -hmm. not only to the rest of the country, but potentially to the rest of the world. Okay. Kate? Well, first of all, I just want to say how happy I am to be sitting up here with the two of you. Really, I love you both so much. And um, it's rare that I get to have a conversation with you in front of people. Um, <laughs> um, um, but um, I also just want to say how much I admire both of you. And, 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 and it's connected to what I'm feeling about the, just how brave you both are and how brave you've been in your careers and in your personal life and how you've manifested your life. Um, I think we're in a really um, critical, critical moment. I think, um, I, ha I don't know about all of you, but watching the hearings for me was utterly devastating. It was utterly devastating. And devastating on so many levels, right? Mm -hmm. Devastating to see the hate, devastating to see how many people stood behind Trump without ever questioning, without ever standing up, devastating to see how many people were hurt, devastating to see that how easy it is for democracy to perish, how close we were, how very close we were. And I think, I, I don't feel that much different. I have a very dear friend, Arundhati Roy, who said to me, we were talking the other day, and she said, she's been asked to speak, and she said, well, I'm only speaking if you don't force me to give people hope, because I don't have any hope right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought to myself, and I thought, I'm not there, because um, I, I love Beckett, and I've always loved Beckett. It's like, I won't go on, I must go on, I will go on, and I'll, I'll be there until I die. And there's part of me that thinks that, you know, you were talking about, We've got everything in the world is up now. Like, what isn't up? We have our precious earth that is being obliterated, and is we have black people in this country being murdered and annihilated, and critical race theory being pushed back, and anti we have books being banned, we have fires, we have children being murdered in our schools, we have, it's endless. But what we have is an opportunity to actually understand this is one story. And one of the things that happened in neoliberal America is everybody got into silos. I'm fighting over here for climate change. I'm fighting over here for LGBTQ rights. I'm fighting over here for women's rights. And we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is the whole situation is pushing us to say, either we're going to get united and understand there is one story, one story that really is the story. Are we supporting life? Are we supporting people's right to be who they are on this planet and to live freely and to live safely, or are we not, right? And I think there's a real opportunity here for that cohesion to occur. So I'm banking on that, I'm fighting for that, and I'm gonna stay focused on that. I also think it's a time of enormous grief, and I don't know about people here, but I had COVID a few weeks ago, um, and I'm way out of the, Thing. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to I think everybody's in the oh fuck period, but go ahead. Yes. Um, but one of the things that hit me about the virus is that it's, it's a virus of grief. I, I've been calling it wovid. I, I feel like it was, I just cried for two, for really for three days of just grief. What we've been witnessing, what we've been seeing, the kind of horrors we've been exposed to over the last five years in this country, what we've been looking at, what are we doing with all that grief? Where is it going? Mm -hmm. And I know for me, like, I, I, I don't want it to become angry and violent, mm -hmm. which it, it is, is what happens to grief when it gets hardened and, and when it gets cauterized inside of us. So part of what I want to think about is how, how do we grieve in a way which leads us to action? Mm -hmm. Like, so we don't just get caught in the grief, 
where we're just shut down and unable right. to function. Right, and, and one know? of the, there's a, an excellent, I did interview Jen Senior from The Atlantic this week who won a Pulitzer Prize, I think it's a Pulitzer Prize, uh, a couple uh, months ago for her piece on, on uh, um, 9-11 about the diary of, of this, this young man who died there and, the, and it was all about conspiracy theories and how the father of this, of this boy, that, young man that was killed started to have to believe it was in conspiracy theories. And then recently, I also interviewed Len Posner, who's the father of Noah, um, who died at Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talked about, because one of the things he talked about is systems and community, um, was that a lot of the people who started to do anti-hoax groups online, which is where a lot of this occurred, uh, were young mothers who couldn't believe this could happen in America and therefore had to assume these were child actors and it was a hoax. Mm -hmm. Those, he was shocked by that. He, ma he managed to pull those women out, which I was sort of, that was the most astonishing part of the interview. But one of the things he was talking about was one that it was a system they could believe in. Mm -hmm. um, so you're talking about a different system. Um, and I'd like you both to sort of comment is, is that we, you, many years ago, for people who don't know, Eve came to my tech conference. Now, she is not someone you would naturally invite to a tech conference. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was, you know, why are you having the vagina lady at your conference? You know, I have Bill Gates, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things we want to talk about was conflict minerals, which are in phones. So I was trying to get people to understand the impact of their inventions. This is something I spent a lot of time doing. Um, the impact and the consequences and understanding consequences. I don't think tech does at all. Um, and you talked about the systems that were in place. So there is a group of people in this country that do have a system, mm -hmm. that do have a belief area. It is, it is full of lack of facts. It has all kinds of things. So one of the ways you move people is through propaganda or activism in art. So I'd love each of you to sort of talk about that uh, since you started about this. Like, do you think there's a way to get through when they have a system and it's a great system? And I was getting back to Jane Den Senior. She did this piece about Steve Bannon. I never thought I'd want to read a piece about Steve Bannon. You should mm -hmm. read this piece about Steve Bannon because he has a system. Yeah, he he has a belief thing that's working really well. He's, he's using entertainment. He's using his podcast. He's using all kinds of ways to, uh, to excite and entertain and convince people. So talk a little bit about the uses of art. Do you think it's useless to do that, to be an art, to be activist using art, whether it's whatever kind it happens to be? I mean, I, th I think partly this world that we're describing right now where we find ourselves is there's so, we're all glued to our phones, we're glued to our TVs, we're glued to our newspapers. It's kind of like um, we're sort of news junkies, right? And it's, we're kind of in a perpetual state of outrage and despair and we sort of can't look away. But it's, there is a thing to being informed, but there is also a sense of like, is this actually doing us, is this the most useful thing to be doing right now? And, and that is what, and that is why we have art. And that is why art is, you know, you know, the newspaper, you wrap the fish in it, you mm -hmm. know, the next, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like here today, gone tomorrow. But art is the thing that can, that can break through and that, like Eve is saying, you know, in this moment when we're feeling such pain, it is, it is a thing that can, can bring about catharsis. And I mean, I think about 25 years ago when the vagina monologues first appeared, mm -hmm. I mean, I could, I, I very much admired the artistry of it and I was in it and I loved embodying these different characters that, you know, that Eve had created. But the main thing was also Eve knew something that I didn't know. 
right? Eve knew about how much sexual violence there was towards women and how rampant it was. And it was just everywhere under our noses. And it was a, and it was a piece of art that people, and it also it was, it was funny and it was joyous and it was painful and it was brutal and all of these things. And it was like a way of women, you know, talking about their vaginas, saying the word vagina, you know, and, and telling stories. But it was also a way of saying there is this, it's like a kind of a, in the same way AIDS for a while was like an underground holocaust. It was like there was a holocaust, a kind of a secret behind closed doors mm -hmm. uh, world of, of sexual violence against women and girls, which if it happened to you, like with AIDS, if it was happening in your, to, in your community, it was like everything was a raging fire. And if it had never happened to you mm -hmm. because of this conspiracy of silence, you actually didn't know that this Holocaust was happening. Mm -hmm. And so what Eve did with, with, with art, which was both art like theater, but also it was so artful the way she did it by making it fascinating and funny and sexy and surprising, you know, that people wanted to come and they got all this, and they were able to then interface with the big feelings from it, but also um, they got this information. Their, a, a veil was removed from their eyes. And, what is that and, today, then, from your perspective? I mean, you know, I think that, the, that when you talk about things like the need for gun control or you talk about the need for addressing climate change, it's, it, it, it's like that. It's so huge. It's not happening behind closed doors. It's kind of happening out yeah. in front of everyone. Yeah. But we, are, we seem paralyzed. And, 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 and there is this, this belief that if we actually understood how horrific this, this, this things, these things were that were happening, A, and B, that we had the power to change them, mm -hmm. um, how could we not act? And the thing is, we can, we, can hit, you know, we can hit people with all the statistics in the world, and we can show pictures, and we have news stories. And I, and I know this personally from, you know, when I, from when I ran for office, you know? I can be out there and I can have all the stats in the world and after about 30 seconds everybody's mm -hmm. eyes glaze over but the thing that actually makes people's eyes open up and their breathing you know quicken and and actually their ears perk up is a story mm -hmm. that they relate to you know right. not stats about how many people were killed but mm -hmm. a story about this happened to my friend, this happened to my child, this, mm -hmm. you know, or even this happened to a woman I never met and I read about, let me tell you what happened mm -hmm. to her. Mm -hmm. All right, Eve, you talk about this. One of the reasons I did invite her is because I, I wanted her to talk about this conflict issues. I did get her to promise to only say vagina six times. Because um, <laughs> I was like, this was a, lar a lot of guys, and I, it made them slightly uncomfortable. The only one that made them more uncomfortable than you was when Elizabeth Warren came. Um, it's a largely white male audience. Sorry, guys. I have I have set, I have three sons. I'm good with white male guys. But um, but they, um, they Elizabeth Warren was the one that made them super uncomfortable. You could actually hear their scrotums coming up like while she spoke. <laughs> but nonetheless, you went and did that, and you talked about this system. So talk about what when when people do see this. What Cynthia was just saying. It, it is in plain sight. Washington Post says democracy dies in darkness. I think it dies in full light. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they tend to do is flood the zone. This is something Bannon talks yeah. about, yeah. Uh, Trump does. 
it's like, on, if, okay, this doesn't work, then we'll try this, then we'll try this, and this is the rage. And then they get, they find one, whether it's trans athletes, whether it's CRT, they mm -hmm. find one that works, and then they abandon the ones that yeah. don't. You know, it's, it's now for some reason it's caravan o'clock yeah. uh, at Fox News. Every yeah, night throw it at the wall, see what yeah, sticks. see what happens. And yeah. if it doesn't work, they move on to the next outrage. Um, so talk about this, the, the, the idea of systems, and then what do you do to break that if there is so much incoming, and it's, and it's via TV, and it's a lot via online, mm -hmm. where people are addicted to it, um, it's addictive, it's always present, it's pervasive, and it's reductive. How do you then tell a more sophisticated story? And in what form do you tell it? Yeah. You know, like, I think one of the reasons, I was just thinking about Celeste's amazing performance last night, for those of you who didn't see it. Um, you know, here we are in this really beautiful space. There's not a thousand million people, but it's intimate, and it's real, and it's true, and it's connected, and it's human, and we touch, right? So something happens to us in this space that doesn't happen in other spaces. And I, I feel like, and I, th I felt this my whole life, and, and now I, I feel like I'm okay with, with saying it. I think all of us actually know the truth. Mm. We all know the truth. We all know what's going on. We all know we're on the verge of something really, really bad. We all know it. And there's something stopping us. There's something stopping us. Is it fear of daddy authoritarian? Is it belief in government's gonna rescue us? Is it, is it laziness? Is it attachment to our comforts that we don't wanna give up? Is it denial that we just keep escalating? But what I think that ARC has the function to do, and, and I just had this wonderful experience with a new show we're developing called Wild, which is a show about climate change that we developed at American Repertory Theater, working with Diane Paulus and Justin Tranter and Adina Menzel. It's a fable about climate change, but we had all these kids, like you know, 50 kids from the Boston Children's Choir who were part of it, and they were singing in the choir. And as they were singing the songs, the sounds, the story, the politics was entering their bodies, right? So by the end, we had 50 raging activists who are now out there doing the work, right? And it happened by performing it, by living it, by singing it, by feeling it. And I think part of where I think we are right now is we're stuck. We're just stuck. There's like, we have to go from here to here, and what's in between it is a lot. It's fear of stepping out against authority. It's actually maybe admitting that our government can't do it. Our government's failing us, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, they're not doing it. They're not, they're not bold enough, they're not, they're not meeting this moment mm -hmm. with the intensity that is required, which is about saving all of our lives so we don't perish in one form or another. And I, I would like to say that I think we all have to, in the spirit of theater, become to some degree ungovernable. Like not be well-trained people who sit in our seats and behave as we get washed out to sea. You know, there's an amazing book by a guy named Hafner where it's called um, Defying Hitler or Our Hitler. Or, and he says the three reasons Hitler came to power in Germany, which I always think about. Is it Hitler's willing executioners? No, no. It's, 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 he was just a bourgeois mm -hmm. journalist who wrote about Hitler. He said the three reasons Hitler came to power is one, people kept saying it's not really happening. This isn't really true. It will pass. Two, they were very attached to their comforts and didn't want to you know, lose anything. They loved their bourgeois comforts. And three, the left was divided. Sound familiar? Um, so I, I feel like, for me, what I want to do right now is create art that gets people to experience that unstuck moment where you suddenly go, I could be a revolutionary. 
I can actually go past this point where we are now and stand up and say, I'm not accepting all of the things that are happening right now, and I'm going to put my body on the line. You know, when, when Duterte was president for 18 years of the Philippines, right, as a dictator, do you know how they got rid of him? For four days, the people of the Philippines came out into the street and refused to leave. They did not leave until the military had finally become with them. And they were putting flowers in the rifles. And this is Marcos. Marcos. What did I say? It's a territory. It's, well, it's the same. But a Marcos is back. Yeah, Just Marcos is FYI. back. But that's another story. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel like there was something that happened in the people that understood the crisis that they're in. And there's something about all of us, we just keep it's not really that bad. It's not really, or if it is that bad, I can't. There's nothing I can do about it. It oh. is that bad, but look at this great app. Yeah, look at the yeah, app exactly. I just got. Yeah, exactly. And part of it is like, how do we tolerate being awake to what is happening right now? Because it's a lot to be awake to. So part of it is, do we have groups where we are together with people where we're in our awakeness and we, we process our grief, we process our fear, but we stay awake to this? Because going to sleep right now what we're on the verge of, in my mind, I don't know what comes after this if we stay asleep. I don't. I don't. So, so what, what then brings that out from, from your perspective? Is, is be, even being an artist enough that you not have to be politically active almost all the time? Because one of the things, again, that they do well is shock, grievance, mm -hmm. outrage, anger. And one of the things I always noticed around the tech was I, many years ago, I had Ralph Reed at one of my conferences, of all people, I just can't, I literally wanted to throw him off the stage and trip him and stuff. Nonetheless, they were using the tools of online quite effectively, and because they had been zeroed out of regular media until Fox News, there wasn't, that wasn't around. Um, and this was a way to reach people individually and otherwise. So if people have these malevolent tools to use and game, how do you then do that waking up? Because everybody does, you know, it, you, you, these things, they just, you can't stop looking at them. You can't stop doing them and you get caught in them. How do you, right now, TikTok, for example, is the hot thing among young people. Um, there's not a lot of activism on TikTok, I can tell you. There's a lot of air fryer videos that I apparently like. Apparently, uh, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Um, but how do you then, if that's the way people are receiving information, what then is art? I mean, how would you, let me start with you. How would you do the vagina monologues today? Would you? Do it on TikTok? No. Or, no. Mm -hmm. Might be pretty good, but go ahead. No. No, I would do it in the theater. I would do it in the room. I would do it with people. I, look, I am old fashioned. I believe in flesh. I believe in skin. I believe in this is where, this is where it all changes, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think our addiction to social media and our addiction to that is exactly that. It's an addiction. And anything could and be. A, and a distraction. And a distraction, exactly. And I think no matter what you play there, it's, it's going to be in that form. But when you're, when you're in a room with people, when we're sitting here and I'm looking at you and I'm seeing your face and I, I see the pain you're in over the culture we're living in, I go, I am with you. I have a connection to you. And part of what we have to do is get in the room together again because COVID mm -hmm. took us out of rooms. Mm -hmm. And it was a very bad time for that to happen, mm -hmm. right? We need to be in community. We need to be with each other. We need to be sharing our anxiety, our fears, our grief, our hope, our confusion. Like, what do we do? And, and coming up with ideas and coming up with how we support each other and, and love each other. And, 
And that can't happen here. It can't because this what is. About, what about you? Because a lot of people want to use these tools to reach people, to get people going. And the right has used them really effectively. I think the hearing in two weeks will be all about that, mm -hmm. is how people got organized and uh, um, I mean, I, I guess I have two things to say about that. You know, one is that I'm terrified by the misinformation. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I guess the two things I want to say are this. One is. I watch young people, and I watch the young people who are on the side that I'm on. Mm -hmm. And they're so creative, but they're so creative at reaching each other through these media, and that I think they can break through. Now, maybe there are young people on the other side or companies on the other side that are using this media. But I, I, do, I do gain some level of hope from how, how organized people in like the Sunrise Movement or the anti-gun violence movement or the Black Lives Matter movement are mm -hmm. using this technology. I'm too old for that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but then I also, I think about like, I, 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 I saw this former white supremacist talk mm -hmm. one time and he was really so effective at chronicling um, how he came out of that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. and, he, I, I'll, I'll try and condense what he said, but essentially, he was kind of the heir apparent in this white supremacist family in, I think in Florida, I can't remember where they're from. And he basically talked about how, you know, he, he made some steps on his own, like he went to this college that wasn't kind of an evangelical college. But, um, but he talked about this one person, and everybody sort of immediately kind of figured out who he was, because he was a celebrity in his world. And he just basically, there was a guy I think it was a Jewish guy, white guy, who made friends with him. And he said, you believe this one thing, and I believe this one thing. They're kind of diametrically opposed. And they can't both be true, right? Mm -hmm. They're two completely opposing worldviews. Mm -hmm. Let's become friends. Mm -hmm. And they became friends. And, what, and, and he said this other guy, who obviously had an agenda to convert him the way he had an agenda mm -hmm. to convert this other guy, mm -hmm. they didn't talk about politics for the first year. Mm -hmm. They talked about classes, and they talked about family, and they talked about their childhoods and stuff that mattered mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And they made each other food, and they, you know what I mean? They did all this community building, and they left politics out. And then very gently, they started to like creep toward each other and started to get into some of these thorny, opposing beliefs that they had. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I, I hope the young people that think like I do are being creative with the technology. But I think that really, I, 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 uh, of course, I always agree with everything that Eve said, but, uh, with V said. But I also think that there is a way in which we are all so angry and so scared, and so angry because we're scared and scared because we're angry, you know? That when we approach people that are, we are each other's obstacles, and when we approach them and be like, how can you think that, mm -hmm. you know? She's not gonna. She's not. We're not gonna have a conversation. Yeah. That was just know? a conversation I had with my mom, just walking. Right. Around. Exactly. <laughs> and so I do think, you know, I, 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 you know, I live in a level of outrage all the time, and I try not to. Um, and it's partly the world, and it's maybe partly just the way I'm wired. But I also think that I, I am trying as I get older in my life to when I meet somebody who even has a small disagree, mm -hmm. you know, to try and see their humanity first mm -hmm. and not like subtly put them down or subtly attack them or maybe not mm -hmm. so subtly. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I think these two things. I think 
technology as a way of mass organizing people and capturing mm -hmm. like-minded people or convincing people with some catchy mm -hmm. graphic, you know, it's good, but I think it's a version of what V is saying, right? Mm -hmm. Being in a room with people and we're all, we're all here in our human bodies and we all have fears and desires and, you know, people we care about and things that we care about that we all, all human beings have that in common. And a lot of what we have is just a different perception and a different idea of how to solve the problems that we have. So how do you, I just, can I just say, say something yeah. related to that? Because I so agree with you. I think, I think what we don't have time for in this culture is each other, right? We don't have time for each other. We're just always talking past each other, moving past each other. And I've had so many amazing experiences in my life that I'm so grateful for, whether it was working eight years in a Bedford Hills Correctional Facility with women who had done violent crimes, where I did a writing group and every week I got to hear their stories and I got to know them, or whether it's working in New Orleans after Katrina with a group of amazing women who told their stories, just sitting and listening to people's stories and getting to know where people come from. And I've been working on this project recently where I've been interviewing women who are formers, former KKKs, former um, white supremacists, former skinheads, and it's been very hard, very, just very hard to listen, to listen. But what's really amazing is every single person has a very similar story, right? They were rejected. They were seen as, you know, they were either treated bullied, they were seen as a nerd, they were poor, they were ugly, they were fat. They, we can go down the list. They were treated like a horrible person. They were, they were outcasts. They were exiled. And someone came along and went, I see you. I want you. I see you. I believe in you, and I'm going to give you a really good outfit. It's all about the outfits, it turns out, right? And community, uh, uh, and I'm going to give you a community. And a community. Yeah, I'm going to give you Doc Martens, and I'm going to give you an amazing haircut, and I'm going to give you an insignia, and I'm going to give you a place to belong. Yeah, the coastline is really yeah, fascinating. Yes, it's, it's really amazing, and, and it's all about belonging, because people are hungry for belonging. So part of what I so agree with you about, like even writing this piece about climate change because there's people in the community who want this thing to come which is going to destroy the earth because they need to survive and there's the kids who don't want it. Everybody's right on a certain level. And how do you hold these two opposite things at the same time with love, with community, with listening so that people can change and then don't get locked into positional reality, so, which is so what we're doing. That's a really good, because one of the things I also write about a lot is cancel culture and stuff, which I don't believe in, but in, in many ways. But leaving the right aside, because I think they're always gaming things. This group was always, because they see, again, I, I recommend reading this vanity if you understand the game they're playing. Mm. Um, how do you then become less censorious? And I don't believe in a lot of everything censored. Um, mm. I had a long debate with Josh Hall. He was like, I'm censored. I go, you never shut up. Interesting, like how is that? How you speak all the time, you never stop talking. <laughs> Shut up, please. And he goes, you're censoring me. I'm like, yes, indeed I will, if that's the word you want to use. But you, how do you, how do you get less censorious? I want to use that word. I'm not saying censoring people, censorious. The left gets that way because it, it has acquired that reputation. It has, uh, some of it fits, some of it does not. Some of it's being used to gain that idea of it. But it really, if you look at any of it, that, that's one of the tools that Trump uses, that's one of the tools a lot of this side use. How do you change that idea of being able to listen and be okay? How, how does that change in the politics? Because the first sense is to hit, I guess. The first to hit back in some fashion, or maybe you don't think so. So what is your question? So what, the idea of how do, you, how do you remove that image from the more progressive side 
that you that you aren't listening, that you are trying to impose things. You're you know, that's being used right now in the whole trans thing. They're, the idea that everyone is, you know, I, I'm not going to, I hate to mention Marjorie Taylor Greene, but everyone's going to be straight in, you know, everyone's going to be, there's not going to be any more straights in 50 years, for example, the kind of things she brings. She just brought that up, which, to which I responded. Sounds good. I know. You know. <laughs> 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 no, but Cheers it, to that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> on that. Uh, I wrote back at her. I said, I, all, all I do is make straight people for you people. But, um, but how do you change that dynamic where you are creating the cool uniforms, the creating the belonging of people who do feel left out? So I think that's a very important. Right. I mean, I think, I think it's a problem that the left or Democrats always have, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we tend to be more educated and we lean into we lean into facts and we lean into statistics and we lean into theory. Mm -hmm. And I think that what, you know, what we need to do is have that stuff in, the, in, the, in our heads, mm -hmm. but we don't lead with that, you know? I mean, it was really, when we were fighting for marriage equality, my wife is from Washington State, and we, we were, you know, on the ground there trying to fight for it there. And the people who had lost in California were there on the ground trying to be like, don't make the mistakes we did, here's what they are. Mm -hmm. And they said essentially two things. One is, uh, they said, we're gonna do two things differently this time and we're not gonna lose, and we didn't. Um, which was that the other side would put these ads on that were ridiculous, you know, like you're, your kindergartner is going to have to, you know, like read the joy of gay sex, essentially, right? And there's going to, they're going to, you know, uh, your church is going to have to have orgiastic weddings, you mm -hmm. know, happening in the, you know, in, in the apps, and mm -hmm. you know, like it was crazy, um, and it was so beyond the pale in terms of children and church and like gay sex graphic mm -hmm. that it seemed preposterous, and they didn't respond. Mm -hmm. They were like, that was a mistake. We should have had something on the air in 24 hours, and that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that they said was um, they would say these ridiculous things, and we would um, counteract them, combat them with um, facts. And the guy who was talking to us said something like, you know, there's you know, there's the, the part of, you know, there's the brain up here, but the, the, there's the stuff back here, which is where fear is, you know? And it's like, you can't combat the fear of like, oh my God, my five-year-old is going to learn about how gay people have sex, right? With the like, of course they would never do that. Here's the, all the reasons. And so they said, the only thing that we, we can't, rationality is not stronger than fear. But, but love can be the thing that is stronger than fear. So they said, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna try and explode these falsehoods, but the main thing that we're gonna do is not, we're gonna be on the defense, we're gonna be on the offense. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about love, and not necessarily love for these two queer people who wanna get married to each other, right? But like, I have two sons, and I love them, both equally. And one of my sons is gay, and one of my sons is straight. And my straight son can marry the person he loves, and my gay son cannot. And this is very painful for me. And they would, 
you know, developed this whole ad system, which was about, which included the love of these people who wanted to marry, but it was also their straight family members or their straight friend, you know, and taught, and you would you would enter it through the straight person, and you would the love, and then you would learn to love that queer person, you know, and so I feel like, again, it's sort of what I'm saying about when I ran for governor. It's like. It's really good to have all that, all the, all that fact-based stuff. Yeah. And when you go on a fancy news show, you can pull it out <laughs> and impress people. But when you're just, you just have to speak simply to people. So why is it happening again? May I just say I think that's exactly how everyone's responding to the, you know, that's not what CRT says. You know, it's all that. It's or that's not what the, you know, for example, I have a friend who was on NBC and talked to the governor of, of West Virginia about the trans stuff. And he, she said, how many people in your state, they were passing the bills, the anti-trans bills about sports and things like that. And she goes, how many people in your state actually, how many are there? And he's like, well, that's not important. And she goes, zero, there's zero. So you're spending all this time on something that doesn't exist. And he essentially said, I kind of have to, I kind of got to do it because over here, the right wing is driving me crazy. But she, and everyone was like, victory for her to get him to admit this. I don't think it was a victory at all. It didn't matter because it didn't change minds, right? So how do you then do that now if they're making, people making, if the same mistakes are being made now? The idea of battling people with facts, science, the same thing happened during COVID. Mm -hmm. Listen to science. Well, they're not. They're not listening to science. So how do you then? But I think, right. I mean, so I don't know if you, you I'm sure you did uh, because you're you, but like, there were these the things have come out recently saying about how racially uh, people dying of COVID, like it's it's switched right. Mm -hmm. Black and brown people were mm -hmm. uh, the, for for a long time were much more greatly yep. affected, and now the balance has finally tipped and actually more white people are dying of COVID. Mm -hmm. And the again, the, the explanation is the reason that this has happened is actually leaders in in, in black and Latino yeah, communities have actually really gone in there and really and taken saying, the like, time the to actually speak to people that they know and, 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 and really and, and take the time not being like, you just have to get the vaccine now, mm -hmm. you know, but actually taking the time that it took and, and white leaders in these communities either don't believe it or they don't have the time or there hasn't been that same kind of on the ground push. But we see how in a very short space of time we can totally flip this. But again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, Maybe you know, maybe it doesn't happen on the news, mm -hmm. right? And but where it happens is actually by mobilizing people on the ground and sending them out, and and making sure that 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 leaders within communities are people that people trust and listen to because they know them. Mm -hmm. That that th th those are the people mm -hmm. that actually can 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 carry the gospel mm -hmm. in a way that some you know, fancy, well-educated Democrat running for office or in office on television can't. Can't do. You know, all my life I've been told that I'm too extreme, too emotional, too this, too much, too that. And you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm really actually on it. I'm on what's happening. So part of it is trusting what you know, trusting what you feel, and responding in kind. Right? Not believing all these people around you who are telling you, oh no, don't be too extreme, don't be too intense, don't be too, don't be, don't be too difficult, 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 difficult. Mm -hmm. Be difficult, be difficult. Challenge authority. Don't accept authority. People don't know what the fuck they're doing, okay? And the ones who do are taking us towards doom. Challenge authority. 
be that authority. Be your own guide and listen to what you're doing and let it take you where it takes you, right? Let it, let it see where, where's your bliss, where's your fight? What do you want to stand up for? You know, I live with, I live on a, com a commune with, uh, with Celeste Lafine and his passion is, is LGBTQ youth. You know what, I'm informed by that every day. I'm taught by that every day because his passion is so deep. What's your passion? What, 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 are you gonna, what are you gonna die for? What are you gonna live for? Find that thing and give yourself to it wholeheartedly and you will have an amazing life. And don't let anyone tell you it will exhaust you and run you out. What exhausts people is not fighting. What exhausts people is living in their despair. What exhausts people is living in their grief without action. The more you act, the more energy you get. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I would just say, I mean, it sort of goes maybe to the point that I sort of started with initially, which is like, when you try and fix everything, mm -hmm. you just fix nothing and you just sit there and just look with despair, do you know? And it's just, you know, they always say like, you know, when you're trying to compel people to make sure they go out and vote on election day, you know, make a plan, you know, talk to them about the plan. Which, which, you know, where's your, your polling place? And what, what day are you going? And what time are you going? And who are you going with? And do you know what I mean? And visualize it. And it's like, just really, you know, make a plan. And make a plan for something that's doable. I mean, this is maybe, you know, I, I have a friend who, her, you know, basically, I, I hadn't seen her in years, and we were having lunch, and I was You should, because it's good for your <laughs> hydration. But set your sights a little higher. And like, don't say, like, I'm going to ensure that Trump is never elected to anything, right? But, you know, pick somebody that yeah. you're like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this person is elected, or I'm going to decide that the most important thing to me is climate change, and I'm going to make these personal resolutions in my life. But more importantly than, you know, turning off the lights or not flying ever with my oldest kid as he's all to do, you know, is to join a, join a group that yeah. absolutely likes sunrise or, you know, that's making, and, and just, and just do it. Like, pick one thing, and maybe if you've done that for a few months or a few, you know, you're like, maybe I can pick a second thing, but just pick the first thing and do it. And, and believe it's, believe you're enough. Right? I think so much of our culture, we don't, I don't know, I'm going to speak yeah. for myself, but most of us don't feel like we're enough, ever. 
Like we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not successful enough, we're not, love I, 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 I live by this and I fight this all the time. And part of it is to trust that what you're doing is enough, right? And, and I think the, the thing I said initially, which was like, we get so paralyzed by all mm -hmm. the things that are wrong. But it's like, but what was interesting, what V said, he was like, but they're all connected and that's true. And so if you're working on hunger or you're working on climate change or you're working on ending violence, right? It's like, it's gonna have an impact in those other areas too. And also, but, you're, how old are you? How old are you? Here's the thing, you're, one of the things I tell young people, I have a 20-year-old son, one of my sons, 20, and uh, you get on this uh, wheel of achievement, you know, of where you're doing things, and my other son's trying, doing college stuff, and I refused to let him do, he was doing Model UN, which I hated, and I said, do you like Model UN? He goes, no, I hate it, but it's good for the college camp. I said, you need to quit right now. You can't do anything. The wheel of achievement that people, including your parents, get you on is something you have to get off of. Not that you shouldn't achieve, but you have to really not do anything because you have choices. Most of the world doesn't have choices and you have them. And if you're doing something that you're not passionate about, you don't like or you don't enjoy or isn't meaningful to you, it, is, it, it, it drives me crazy with young people. And so I'm constantly saying, you know, my son who's doing very well in school and is getting age, he's gonna probably get into college. And I, you know, I don't worry about, a, uh, my ex-wife was an early Google executive, so I don't really worry about my straight white men in America who are rich people. So I'm like, you can do anything you want. What do you want to make? And it, you really have to like realize how lucky you are and blessed in terms of where you are. And you have choices and understand that you can say no to things. And that's the most, especially for women, that's the most powerful thing is I'm going to do a series of books called No is a Complete Sentence. <laughs> I say no all the time. Like, this is how I just got a new contract. It's like so lucrative, it's ridiculous. I, I, I quit and they're like, what? And I'm like, bye, see ya. Like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Um, no is a complete sentence. The second, see, the second one in the series is called Yes, I'll Take That. And the third one is Maybe I'll Call You Back. So just, <laughs> you have a lot more power than you realize. And I, I just want to say one thing. Like, I know a lot of people are down on anger. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in anger. Me too. And, and, Notice where you're angry. Notice what makes you angry. Traffic. Because, because that may be exactly where your passion lies. You know, just notice where you just keep getting charged. You know, like what's pissing you off? Because usually for me, that's what directed a lot of what I did. You know, yeah. and, 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 and I think anger is a great fuel. Yeah. Also, you're going to die. How old are you, 22? <laughs> In 80 years. So <laughs> step it up. <laughs> <laughs>